to another episode of Rockstar Violinist, the podcast from Electric Violin Shop that brings you the artists you need to know in the string world. Jared Burnett has been on some of the biggest stages you've never seen. Huh? Yes, he's been on plenty of stages you have seen. He's been on Broadway with Cirque, at Universal Studios, on the main stage at House of Blues, and so many more. But most of his performances are not for the general public. We will let him explain. You know, if you're enjoying all these podcasts, this is number 60 now, by the way. Are you serious? Please do us a favor and subscribe. It's free. Like, comment, and share this with all your friends. You do have friends, right? Well, after you turn someone on to this podcast, you're going to have great friends. They're going to love you. You know what? Never mind. Grab a pencil. This is going to be about an hour of a graduate level music business class. Yes, sir. And we're going to play a little bit of Jared's music, too. It is a rock star violinist podcast. You got your pencil? Awesome. Let's get on with my chat with Jared Burnett, rock star violinist. All right, man. Well, how you been? Everything's good. Uh, finally getting back to some events, slowly but surely. Um, but it's nice to actually get a few things in queue here as uh, Florida is is open. So, you know, the uh, producers down here are doing uh, as many events as they can, as safely as they can. And I'm thankful to kind of be a little bit of a part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I see you've been down in uh, at Mar-a-Lago quite a bit lately, huh? <laughs> yeah, they... Uh, I've got a great relationship um, with uh, some of the foundations that work out of there. And uh, the most recent one, it's called Big Dog Ranch Rescue. It's a, a pet rescue facility. And uh, they travel all over the world to rescue um, uh, disabled pets and and um, uh, just to get these pets that are or dogs, or actually not even pets, that are just uh, just left out in the open, you know, and are just abandoned. And so they bring them into Florida and um, are actually able to uh, refoster them and put them in homes. So it's a huge charity fundraiser down there. So I was down there for a couple of days this last weekend and a couple more events coming up down there in the, in the next coming months as well. Very nice. Yeah. So, yeah, the, uh, I guess your big impact or your big uh, stage has been corporate events, private events, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, it really is. I mean, the majority of the the performances that I do are corporate events, uh, large keynote presentations, award show galas, that sort of thing. And um, it's it, it was obviously pretty devastating for for our industry in terms of of the convention world uh, that that everything just went away. Uh, so you sort of have to change your your direction and and look to to some other ways that you're able to to stay busy and work. And uh, for me, thankfully, it was getting into a little bit more of uh, weddings and smaller, you know, uh, small family gatherings that were lower in attendance and just try and stay busy like that. I also ended up, uh, was able to just kind of retool my whole setup uh, with my equipment and my PA um, to just make it easier for me to load in and out of events. So it it gave me that opportunity uh, to to have some time to sort of reconfigure uh, all of my equipment and my sound and my EQ and and everything that, that, I, I normally don't get as much time to do on a day-to-day basis, uh, but once COVID hit, I was able to, um, you know, sort of step back and say, okay, what can I do to make my performances better so that once everything opens back up, I'm able to to hit the ground uh, running. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And that's the thing in these super high-end production uh, environments, they want everything to be real tight, real easy, bulletproof. You know, your, right. your gear's got to be top-notch. Right, right, right. That's a, You know, when you have a, a client that has a, a higher level of expectation, um, you know, you can't just show up with a small guitar amp and expect to fill a ballroom with 400 people. It just isn't going to happen. So you, you've got to have the balance of <clears throat> what equipment that you have um, that's going to be able to fill that room or have the, the, the knowledge and, and understanding of what you need so that you can relay that to an AV company for them to be able to provide that for you. 
So you got your start doing super high production value stuff with Cirque du Soleil, right? Yeah, so I started touring um, back in 2006 uh, with Cirque Productions, which is a Cirque du Soleil company, that's correct. And, um, you know, we played in proscenium theaters, performing arts centers, uh, sort of all over the world. Um, and, and having that sort of foundation of my touring start allowed me to really understand the ins and outs of what happens backstage, what happens with the crew, what happens with, um, you know, everything from load in and load out and just understanding what a, a timeline of a production day is like. Uh, so it really gave me a, a broader understanding of the business end of touring, not just standing on a stage and performing. Um, so, so, so touring with them, I was able to really get exposed to a lot more of that uh, side of the business that we're in. Yeah, and then you're, you know, of course, you know that it's it's a whole lot different than just walking up on a stage and playing a song, right? There's there's a whole there's a whole thing that's expected from people with big budgets. Yeah, I, I mean, and it starts weeks and months in advance. Um, you know, with a producer that's calling uh, either yourself and your management to sort of pitch an idea. Okay, here's what we're what we're thinking. Um, you know, what are you able to do in terms of a performance that would fit within? Sometimes it's just a two or three minute performance. Um, other times it could be a fifteen minute show opener. Um, other times it could be you know they need you for a forty five minute dinner set. So it's really just starting the conversation uh, weeks and months in advance to see what the producer is looking for and then how you're able to tailor your set and your performance uh, so that it fits in line with what the company and the client is looking to do. Yeah, so it almost sounds like it's more of like you're more of a, a business and a marketing guy almost than... I mean, I don't want to take away from like the obviously you have to yeah. have a product, right? You have to be you have to be a talented player and entertainer. But it seems like there's so much more of it that's it's like more business school than music school, really. Yeah, I mean that's the one thing I think that that touring uh, taught me going into doing this all on my own was that there's so much that you need to do before you even walk on the stage. Um, that you have to have an understanding of the ins and outs of the business end of it, whether it's a contract negotiation, how you're presenting yourself, um, the, the video content that you're showing a client that represents you. Uh, you have to have all these elements in a top-notch polished product to be able to sell to a client or a company that is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a week-long convention. You have to be able to be up to their quality and expectations and, and their brand standards uh, on your own brand. So I, I think that when I talk to a lot of musicians um, that I work with and, and that I know are trying to get into more corporate work, uh, the first thing I say to them is, you know, what is, what is the representation of your brand? If I'm, a, if I'm a client that's coming in to want to hire you, um, show me your business card. How do I find you? What is the first way that I'm going to be able to get exposure to you? What is your website? Um, you know, and if you hand me a business card, no offense to those that have them, but if you hand me a business card that was made on, you know, one of these free websites that gives you 100 business cards for free with their advertising on the back, I'm probably not going to take you as serious as somebody who has a nice Lux hard copy, hard stock paper, um, you know, or, or some sort of really cool business card um, with your own logo, your own branding, that sort of representation of what you are on that business card. And I, I can tell it in the first two seconds that I interact with somebody if I say, hey, give me your card, you know. And so I want for myself to be as top notch brand represented uh, that I can be when I meet a client because they may not have 10 minutes or 15 minutes to see me play. They may need me to, to pitch myself to them in three minutes if I'm talking to them at a cocktail event or, or some sort of a corporate engagement um, or even just out at some of the local venues. You know, uh, it, somebody's uh, perception of you can, can happen in an instant. So I want my representation to be as, as best of a quality that I can give to that client as quickly as possible. Yeah. That's the thing that they just, I don't think they cover in music school. They're, they're right. churning out all these musicians who can play, you know, they can play the Paganini stuff that would make your eyes roll around in your head. Yeah. But they don't teach them how to brand themselves and how to market themselves. And then, you know, the thing is, 
do does a room full of a thousand guests at a corporate event do they want to hear virtuoso mind-blowing level violin right. or do they want to be entertained right right and, and i think that's you know there's some events that maybe they want that classical you know just uh, expertise um, that there's there's a thousand other violinists out there that are are incredibly uh, um, more talented than I am, and and I know that I'm not the best violinist that's out there. But what I do know is that I have a look, I have a style that I play. I play this unique Viper electric violin from Wood Violins. Um, so so when people think of whatever a quote unquote violinist is, for my brand, I I know that I'm able to provide something that is not what a stereotypical violinist is. Um, and that's what a lot of these corporate clients that I've found uh, really love. You know, like you said, kid, we play some of the classical pieces during a dinner set, of course, but do 99% of the people in that audience even know what that song is? Probably not. But if you play Michael Jackson, Bruno Mars, Coldplay, U2, you know, any of these mainstream artists, and you're playing it on this violin, that's when they're hooked because they're hearing this music that they recognize, uh, that they're familiar with, that they hear on the radio, uh, but now they're hearing it and seeing it performed in a completely different way that, that they've most likely not been exposed to seeing. And that's one of the ways that I, I really sort of started tailoring my career around doing some of those covers and, and providing something like that for uh, the corporate client setting. Now, that being said, I think it's a great way to to transition into doing more original material. Um, you know, you have to be somebody uh, that, that's on that top tier level that's creating their original content and their original CDs and records, um, you know, to, to be able to, to have that exposure uh, from a client that wants you specifically um, you know, and, and that's a whole other story. If, if somebody's bringing in a Lindsey Sterling, they're hiring Lindsey for her music that's original and, and they want what she does. If it's a corporate dinner setting, you know, they may not have the Lindsey Sterling budget, but they may have a, a, a Jerry Burnett budget, you know, which is significantly less, let's be honest. And so uh, I, I'm finding a nice sweet spot in terms of some of those events where they're not gonna have $200,000 to bring in a mainstream artist, but they may have a little bit less, obviously significant less, to bring somebody in um, you know, that does what I do, but they can still provide a quality product uh, for, their, for their attendees and their guests. I mean, your brand is is definitely an impressive thing. It's it's clearly something that's been um, intentionally curated. And, right. And there's there's sort of a fine line. Like you see a lot of these guys in parking lots playing covers on their electric violin, and 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 they're engaging an audience. And that's done at sort of a a, a very small level. Right. You've been able to take that and put that on a on a stage in front of thousands of people and engage thousands of people with professional production, professional playing and, right. and and branding and marketing. So where was, what do you think it is that separates you from, from those guys? Well, uh, uh, to be honest, at, at the start of it, it was getting somebody that was talented in doing those sorts of things in terms of creating a brand image and hiring a, a media graphics company that that's what they do is create brand logos. And, and, and so I surrounded myself with people that were experts in their field of branding and marketing and, and video and photo production to, to, to help me create this brand that I wanted to, 
to create for myself. So, so uh, one of the people that I that I brought in down here, his name is Victor Lewis, who is just this incredibly artistic individual that comes from a whole fashion background. And so I knew that he was going to have the eye that could capture the images and the clean look that I wanted my brand to represent. Uh, so we started working together in 2013 and have worked together ever since in terms of creating my website content, all of my logo and imaging, all of the, the content that you see on my um, media kits and, and, and my 8x10s and, and all my flyers and posters and all this sort of stuff. So it was, it was starting to surround myself with people that were experts in their field as well in terms of creating that brand. I don't know how to do a, a graphic logo. I can't create a logo, but I can surround myself with a company that is an expert at that, hire them, bring them on and say, okay, here's my vision. And then we have the process of creating what the brand is, what a logo is, and, and the different looks and, and style that we want that to look like. Um, you know, so, so it, it, it can also be surrounding yourself with people that are, that are experts in their field to help bring your look and your style up to the level that you want it to be. Yeah, and then clearly the playing has to be outstanding too, right? You've got to make good artistic choices on stage. You can't be making mistakes. You can't, you know, you can't have, you're ahead of the beat. And, you know, you, you've got to serve up a, a very repeatable performance. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we can, we can put everything together and brand it all. But at the end of the day, you still have to get on the stage and play. So, you know, I've, I've got to, to really hone in on the sound that I'm looking to accomplish um, you know, the, the style that I want to play and obviously practice that material endlessly so that it's all memorized, um, you know, and, and so there's other performers that do what we do and, and sit in a cocktail setting and sit in a chair and have a stand and there's sheet music in front of them and are, are reading music off of an iPad, you know, and, and that's great. I, I'm not against that, but for my brand, I never sit when I play. I'm always standing. I'm engaging an audience. I, I interact with an audience with that energy as I'm moving around on the stage. Everything is memorized, you know, so it's a different level in terms of performance that I'm providing that is not just a, a violin solo. It's an entertainment experience. It is a performance, so I'm engaging in this audience. And so, you know, I have to practice that. And, and some of the other musicians that I work with you know, a lot of them have sat in, a, in an orchestra for years and and are not used to performing in front of a thousand people by themselves. And and it takes a little bit of practice to get them to move and engage because you're so used to just sitting in a chair in a symphony with 70 other performers. If you're on a stage by yourself, you have to fill that stage. So you have to know how to move. You have to know how to to feel the music so that the audience connects with what you're doing on stage. And that's one of the things that, that is a challenge when I talk to other performers, um, that they're almost just two feet in concrete standing in one place and, and they don't even move, you know, and it's hard to engage an audience of two, three, or up to 10,000 people if you're just standing in one spot. So, you know, you want to move and engage an audience. And I think that's a big part of, of what I've been able to um, create this brand around is that it's an experience when I play, um, you know, because let's face it, there's not a lot of six foot five, 240, you know, long blonde hair violinists that are out there. So I'm giving them something that they haven't seen before in a way that they've, they've never experienced but with music that they can recognize. And I think that, that, that honing in on some of those aspects are really what have uh, fortunately um, you know, been able to make me uh, somewhat successful in this industry. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes from your theater background too, right? Is learning how to, to block a stage and occupy a stage and interact with a crowd. Yeah, you know, the, the there's an interesting element to theater that I, I don't think a lot of people realize that literally every step that is on a stage in a theatrical setting is choreographed, you know? So you have eight counts to every single moment on a stage, and so... Understanding choreography and blocking and and the flow of a show is so imperative to me to to have had that background and understand 
what it's like to be on a stage setting like that so that I can walk into a huge convention for, you know, one of the top tech companies in the world and, and not be overwhelmed and not be intimidated um, because I'm, I'm familiar with a setting like that and, and understand that I have to work with a front of house engineer and I have to work with a monitor engineer and, and I'm working with the stage manager and, and, you know, and you have to understand what that environment is like um, because if you're sort of just thrown to the wolves and you're green, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get overwhelmed. Um, if you walk into, you know, the Orange County Convention Center, uh, you know, pre-COVID with in a convention that has 25,000 people walking around, you have to know where you're going, who you're meeting, who are your contacts, what door are you loading in, where are you parking? And so all this sort of stuff you have to do on the, on the front end um, and prepare yourself as much as possible uh, before you walk into a room so that when you do walk into that room, you have the confidence and you have the preparation to know that you're able to do exactly what you want to do that day of your performance. Well, and it, and it sounds simple, like, hey, I got a lot of details to cover. And yes, I've got, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. If you're doing five of those a year, it, it's not that hard. That's when right. you're doing 200 of those a year, you've got to have a, a bit of an organizational system. Yeah, and, and and thankfully for me, I surround myself with people that are able to assist with that. And and I have a management company that, that, that helps me with contracts and a day sheet and my point of contact and all the negotiation process that I'm still actively involved with. Um, but it's nice to be able to kind of hand that over to somebody uh, as well so that I can continue to focus on the music and what I'm playing. Because what I found was a couple of years ago is that I was spending so much time in my office answering emails and responding to contracts and back and forth negotiations that I started to, to lose my focus on what I was playing. Um, and so I needed to, yet again, surround myself with people that are knowledgeable on these things, that that's what their expertise is, and allow me to really focus more on the music and what I'm playing, um, but still actively have my hand involved with, with every bit of, of that process. Um, but it's just nice to be able to, to, to let other people help me uh, be the best uh, performer that I can be on stage and take some of those responsibilities on so that I can focus on the music. Um, because if, if, you know, for example, um, before COVID, there was 29 corporate events that, that I had in queue uh, for 2020. So you can imagine the, the back and forth and, and logistics and flights and hotel and load in time and rehearsal time that has to be coordinated, um, you know, that, that, that was in queue at that juncture. Um, so, uh, you know, just from a, a solo performer, 29, 29 performances um, over the course of, of three or four months until everything was canceled was a lot to, to coordinate. Um, but like you said before, having that touring background um, with Cirque Dreams and Cirque Productions with Cirque du Soleil, it was, um, uh, it allowed me to understand what a, a touring life is like. And when you're in a different city every other night and, you know, and so understanding travel and logistics and what time do I need to get to the airport and, and knowing ways to make it as easy as possible to travel like that. Um, it, it certainly has given me uh, a, a lot of experience going into doing this as a solo performer. Yeah, you're a uh, you're also a really big dude. You mentioned six foot five and two hundred and forty pounds, yeah. <laughs> and that's part of your brand. That's part right. of your look. It's a thing that you know you spend hours in a practice room learning how to play the violin. You spend hours in a gym keeping yourself fit and keeping your your image and all that. So how do you fit in all this gym time with all the travel and practice and yeah. business and? You, you know the the gym. Thankfully for me, is just a creative, positive outlet. Um, that I can step away from music for a couple of hours. Um, you know, I, I, I want to take care of my body. And because I'm traveling so much, you know, pre-COVID, that, you know, sleep is sort of the, the, the biggest commodity that I can find in those moments. And so I have to have my body as, 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 as uh, you know, up to standard as possible uh, with my vitamin regimen and my diet, because if not, 
you're just going to gas out so bad on some of these days that you just don't have the energy. You don't have the, 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 you have this mental fog. So I have to keep my, my focus and, and my physical, uh, well-being as, as high as I can so that I am prepared to walk into a, a performance day that's going to be 16 or 18 hours. Um, you know, whether it's a convention or, you know, I'm getting up at four in the morning to get to the airport by 5.30 and fly to Las Vegas and, and load in by 3 p.m. and do a sound check by 5 and then perform 7 to 8 p.m., you know, and then you're getting into the hotel at 9.30 or 10 o'clock West Coast time because I'm on the East Coast. So it's, it's you know, those are long days. And so for me, being as physically fit as I can be helps prepare me for long days like that. And, um, and, and like you said, you know, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a part of the brand of what your look is. How do you dress on stage? What is your representation of, of how you present yourself to a client? Um, that's a big part of it too, because if, if you're a performer and, and you may be an incredible musician, but you walk out and your shirt's untucked and it's all wrinkled and, you know, you, you just look sloppy, that's a representation of what your brand is. And a, a client isn't going to care if you're the best playing musician that they've ever heard because they're going to look at you and be like, does this guy shave? Did this girl brush her hair? Did, you know, what, what, what did they do to prepare for this big event if that's how they're showcasing themselves? So, so how I present myself on stage, um, the look that I have, uh, I, I like a clean, uh, just a really sleek look uh, to represent my brand so that then the music can speak for itself. Um, you know, I don't wear a lot of flair and I don't have, you know, sequined shirts and the whole, you know, kind of over the top look um, because I want my music to speak for itself. And, and I know that, that being a larger individual on stage is a presence within itself. So I feel like if, if I did all that other over the top, you know, crazy costuming, that it's just too much um, for the style that I do. Now, if I'm out touring and I've got an hour and a half show with 3,000 people coming to see me at 100 different venues across the country, it's a different story because then you're putting on a show. And then, of course, you need the costuming and the wardrobe changes and the choreographed dancers and things like that. Um, but at this level that I'm doing it at, a nice, clean look, a clean representation of what my brand is and my look, um, I've found is, is far more appealing to a lot of these corporate uh, higher-end clients uh, that, that want to have us on stage playing our, our music. So you don't have to dress up as a tree anymore, huh? Yeah, thankfully my days of a tree are done. So yeah, with uh, with <laughs> with Sark, my character, uh, the character name was called Soul Tree, and I was this literal costumed tree uh, that the music that I played brought all the other creatures uh, that were on stage to life. So there was acrobats and aerialists, contortionists and jugglers, and all of them were in themed costumes, and so. Um, you know, some of the music that, that I played brought their characters to life. And uh, so, so the tree has been uh, put on the shelf for the past couple of years. <laughs> Thank, it was a great costume, though. I mean, it, again, it was the foundations of, of the start of my career and living in New York and performing on Broadway with that company was, you know, an incredible experience that I think any musician, singer, dancer, you know, if you think of of Broadway, it, it can be just the absolute pinnacle of your career. And I did it for uh, nearly 20 weeks of my life, you know, living there. And, and it was it was just the most incredible experience. Um, and so so thankfully now, though, the uh, the tree is 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 left in the wardrobe department back at Cirque. <laughs> <laughs> So you had a pretty well-known show. I think that you did the uh, the greatest showman. You did a big show for that for somebody, right? Yeah. So um, one of the really cool things about corporate convention work is that companies love what's hip and current, and and you know, in pop culture, and and they love tying those themes 
into their events and, and they always have sort of a theme and, you know, a, 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 a staging and an environment that they're trying to create that's fun and energetic for their, their, their employees and their, their attendees that are flying in from all over the country. So, you know, a couple of years ago when The Greatest Showman came out, um, I think a lot of companies were just really drawn to that circus style and, and the theme of The Greatest Showman. And uh, so one of the things that, that I did was just sort of sit down and listen to the music. And, and ironically, coming from a circus background, I could relate to that movie so much um, because it felt like that was my life, you know, was one of those performers that was plucked out of obscurity and, and thrown into this incredible uh, opportunity to perform. And, um, and so performing uh, The Greatest Showman is, is one of the coolest uh, uh, performances that I do. And, and, and what we'll do for that is, is a convention opener. Uh, so imagine, you know, a thousand or two thousand attendees have flown all over the country into Las Vegas or Orlando or wherever it is. And so the CEOs of these companies want to come out to something, you know, high energy and really enthusiastic. It's seven o'clock in the morning. They're trying to wake the audience up. Um, and so for me to come out and, and sort of be the ringmaster of uh, the Greatest Showman uh, theme song opener, have six or seven dancers behind me and, and uh, everything's all choreographed. That's a really fun piece to do for clients, and 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 it's it's requested quite often, um, and it's just a lot of fun to play. Uh, it, it it really grabs an audience when you do a reveal from the front of house, uh, which is you know behind the audience. So if I come in from the front doors, their their focus is up on the stage, but I'm coming in from the front doors, and you know a spotlight cues over to me in the middle of the audience. It catches them. And, you know, they're like, whoa, what is this? You know, what is this guy doing? And what is that on his arm? Is that a guitar? Is it a violin or whatever? You know, and so it really catches them in that moment. And then obviously with all choreographed lighting cues and, and um, you know, the dancers all coming on stage, it really is a, a really fun piece to do that's three and a half or four minutes long. Um, and, and some people are like, wow, you only played for four minutes today, but... Yeah, four minutes on stage, but, you know, three months of, of pre-production prep and rehearsals and coordination and, and you know, getting all the logistics down um, is what makes that four minutes uh, spectacular. And uh, so that Greatest Showman piece is a lot of fun to do. Here's some live audio from a YouTube video of Jared's performance of The Show Goes On from The Greatest Showman. Do yourself a favor and find this on YouTube. Jared puts on a great show. your journey when did you start playing and and when did you sort of discover that hey I'm, I'm really into this this pop violin thing yeah you know I mean I was a Suzuki kid I started uh, at an extremely young age and and was with a private uh, instructor uh, and you know I, I I was never the best at it I was probably one of the worst uh, and but for whatever reason I just kept coming back to this instrument. I just enjoyed this noise that I was making. And I think my, my mom and, and my parents uh, saw that. And so they never really pushed 
uh, the violin on me was like, okay, you know, take a little break. And, you know, I, I wanted to play sports. And so I played soccer and baseball and things like that too. And so, but I always just kind of kept playing the violin. And, um, you know, all through elementary school, I kept playing. And then there was an opportunity to uh, audition for a, a magnet arts program school that was in Central Florida, uh, where I grew up for middle school. And so I auditioned for that school and, and I was accepted into the school. And so the curriculum there is all based around your department. So I was in the, the music department, obviously. And so uh, then I started getting a little bit better. And, you know, then... Um, you know, some of the Vivaldi pieces started coming in and, and you know, I, I'm like, okay, this is hard music and I was able to do it. Um, but in eighth grade, I had a conductor um, that said for our all state orchestra uh, competition, we were playing Bohemian Rhapsody. And I, I was like, how are we going to do this as an orchestra? I was never exposed to this kind of thing. And so we played Bohemian Rhapsody for our all-state competition and blew everybody away. And, and those were the starts of, of, of seeing, okay, I can do something other than classical music with this instrument. And uh, went to another art school for ninth grade and, and then um, uh, moved away, uh, sort of had a regular high school life. Uh, but around 17 or 18, I was exposed to the Dave Matthews Band. And the first time that I heard Boyd Tinsley play the violin in the Dave Matthews Band, I was blown away. I, I couldn't believe that here's this big muscular man that's playing this awesome black electric violin, you know, that doesn't look anything like my violin. And, you know, he's got his sunglasses on and, and he's just rocking out on stage. And so I would actually, I had this DVD of the Dave Matthews Band that I would just play uh, in my living room on rotation and try and emulate what he was doing on stage to find how can I do something like that. Um, and, and so I got linked up with an acoustic rock band at the time and um, they were doing some Dave Matthews Band and Goo Goo Dolls and Lifehouse in the early 2000s, you know. And um, they said, man, we'd, we'd love for you to play with us. Can you come play? And uh, through that is, is how I started playing more jazz and bluegrass and rock sounds on my violin. Um, and then uh, from there, I was doing a, uh, a show at Universal Orlando with this band. Uh, it was like a craft festival uh, that was out in Universal City Walk. And the director of entertainment happened to be walking by as we were playing The Devil Went Down to Georgia. And um, the, the entertainment director, I guess, told one of his uh, stage managers, who is that guy? What is his deal? And I want him for one of our street shows. And so I was approached by Universal Orlando to, to do a solo minute and 38 second edit of The Devil Went Down to Georgia um, five times a night, six days a week, uh, you know, and, and to a 22 year old. The money that they were paying was just astronomical to me to, to say that I'm playing less than two minutes of the devil went down to Georgia a couple times a night and getting paid to do it. And so I was hooked and, and I knew that, that this was going to be my career. And, and, you know, and, and obviously there's a lot of steps along that way. But, but um, from there, one of the talent scouts of Cirque uh, had seen me out there and approached me about potentially touring. And so uh, that I, I was at Universal Orlando for three years, and then on um, that fourth year is when I started touring with Cirque, and um, and then it was just on from there. Uh, so it, it's sort of been um, a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice. I mean, you you sacrifice relationships and family time and birthdays and Christmas and holidays and. All of that sort of goes on the back burner when you are touring and when you are traveling as much as I was. Um, and But the experiences that I had getting to travel and tour all over the world are, are so valuable. You know, just the amount of, of love that I have to have that experience is, is just... I, I can't tell you how fortunate I feel to have had some of those moments that I did. So that's sort of how I got into it all um, from, you know, a, a quick Cliff Notes version. Man, you think like playing Devil Went Down to Georgia like literally hundreds of times a year. Yeah. And 
You got to serve it up every time because you never know whether the talent scout for Cirque is one That's of right. the 50 people standing out there watching you. That's right. And, and ironically, uh, our stage manager, um, it was really cool. They, they, they sort of keep a tally. Uh, and so my final show count was 4,222 shows um, that I did. Uh, so 4,222 times I played that went down to Georgia. And, um, you know, you have got to, like you said, I mean, there's, there's people, you know, from all over the world that are coming to Universal Orlando. And that one person, you know, you can't necessarily have an off day. So, you know, I, I, I've never called in sick. Um, I've never missed a performance um, that I was there and, and, and physically able to do. Um, I mean, I've been sick off stage and run back on stage and play and go off stage and, you know, and, and, and that's just what you do because there's no other person in that moment to do what I do. So it's hard to just say, oh, we can't do that part today. You know, it, it's right. not a question. You have to do it. And, and that's a mindset um, that, that I was just sort of ingrained in that there's no, there's no replacement on the fly like that when you're touring and when you're on those stages, you have to go out there and perform. Um, obviously, if I'm deathly ill and I need to be in the hospital or something, that's a different story. But, but you know, you get a stomach flu or, you know, really bad colds and sickness and you just have to grind through it. But, um, but yeah, when you're out on that stage, I mean, you never know who was in the audience. And so you have to be 100% every day at, at all times uh, when you're on that stage. Yeah. Yeah, we've had talk. I mean, I know you do a lot of booking, too. You get so many calls for stuff that you can't possibly perform all these. And then some of them aren't consistent with your brand, some of the calls you're getting. So you're farming some of, some of this stuff out. Yeah. And uh, so what are some things that, if, like, if a player wants to be in your stable of people that you call, like, what are some things you're looking for in a player that maybe would be good at business advice? And what are some, oh, my God, don't do this or you're never getting a call from me? Yeah, I think uh, punctuality is the first one. I need to I need to know that you're reliable and that you're going to show up on time and that you have professional equipment. Um, that That's a huge part of it to me. Um, it, from the pre-production standpoint, if I, if I'm booked on an event and I'd love to be able to hand this event off to somebody else, I need to see what are you, um, what are you representing yourself? I need to see how you're representing yourself, uh, to a client. So I've got to see a video of you performing that's not in your bedroom with a white wall standing in front of your window with the camera pointing into it. So, so there's got to be a certain level of, of representation that, that you feel that you're worth um, in order for me to be able to, to put my stamp on it and say, hey, I recommend this performer because they're really good. I'm sorry that I'm already booked, but, but here's somebody that I could recommend. And um, I think that it, it's got to be a performer that, that has you know, a, a, a good social media representation, a nice website, a good promo video, some some good quality professional photographs of, of themselves. Um, that's probably step one, um, you know, because I can't hand somebody, uh, I can't hand a corporate client, a person that's taken a selfie, you know, as their, as their promo picture, um, you know, or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, exactly, it, it just doesn't work. <laughs> to 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 sell to a national client um you know and they can tell they know that if it's you know something cheesy or just you know not a good representation um you know even if you just go out in a park and play and have somebody record it on your iphone and just give an environment that shows how you move and how you perform and that you're smiling on stage and that you have energy um those are some of the the small things that you can do as a performer um, that, that, that can help bring your, your worth up to a client. Um, and then for me to be able to sort of put my stamp of approval on it. Um, obviously, another thing is having professional gear. Um, it, again, it's hard, to, it's hard to sell a corporate cocktail hour, um, you know, that has a couple hundred people um, and, and you just have a small amp. 
Um, now, the good part of that is that I've got enough equipment to where if it's something that's local here where I'm at, I'm able to sort of, you know, loan some people some gear. But if it's a performer doing this somewhere else in the country, invest yourself in just knowing, okay, where can I maybe go rent some gear for a gig? Or, or, or can I line up with this band and, hey, guys, you know, I know I don't have a huge PA system, but can I throw you guys a couple hundred bucks on this off Wednesday afternoon you know, if one of your guys could come and set up their PA for me. Um, so, so having a connection or just saying, yes, I've got the accessibility to be able to get a full PA system. That's huge to me. Um, as a producer, you know, booking other musicians to say, okay, if I've got an event in Atlanta, I know of a violinist that I can call in Atlanta and say, Hey, can you, or do you have a PA system? Do you, can you get a PA system? That's an opportunity for them to get some work, so it would it would benefit them, I think, if they said, "Yeah, you know, I've I've got a vendor that I can go rent some equipment from, or or get access to from a, a corporate band or a party band or a local band or whatever it is." Um, but it's hard to to put a, a a string musician on the caliber of events that I'm doing with just a small amp. Um, you know, it, it it they just need more. Uh, production uh, equipment uh, to be able to do some of these events. So I think that's another thing. Uh, as as silly as it sounds, is you have to have somebody that has reliable transportation. Um, you know, you would be surprised that there's people that say, "Ah, oh, my car zonked out yesterday. I can't do the gig tomorrow." You know, and as much as I feel for them, I would rather them come to me and say, "Hey." My car zonked out yesterday, but I've I've rented a car. I've got a friend that's loaning me their car. The gig is still on. Thank you for the work. You know, so I know accidents happen and things things you know unexpectedly go wrong. Um, but it's how are you able to adapt and overcome that situation to show me that you're still able to to meet the gig and be at the gig. Um, you know, there was a performer that I've worked with that ran out of gas on the interstate once. And, you know, it, it, it's something that unfortunately I, I have to choose to not work with that performer again because they all almost missed the gig because they ran out of gas, you know. And so that's a, a level of expectancy that I have in people that I work with you have to know to fill your gas tank up before you go to the gig, you know? And, and if it's, if it's, look, if you're pressed for cash, call me and say, Hey, I'm on this event today. I don't have enough money to fill my gas tank up. I'll Venmo you the gas money, you know, and the gig money just to get you there. Um, so I think it's, it's how performers have to really approach an event and a booking at the, at the utmost professionalism um, especially if they're working under sort of my umbrella of, of, a, of a performance that if I haven't been able to do that they're doing for me. Ah, oh, my man is on a roll here. We're going to take a quick break and listen to another tune from his album, Jared Violin, and get right back to class. Hang on to that pencil. that goes to traveling, whether you're on an airplane, you know, getting to the airport well in advance, um, making sure that you've got all of your equipment and your luggage that you're flying with or, you know, whatever it is that you can't fly to a gig in Dallas and say, oh, I forgot my in-ears, you know, or whatever it is. Right. It, it's just you have to be prepared uh, if you're doing these caliber of events. And and unfortunately, there are times that, that there are some performers that, that don't. Um, uh, and another thing that I would that I would want to share with people is that if somebody books you on an event, you never want to backdoor them. 
And, and what I mean by that, it, and a lot of people may not know what that means. And so, so if I'm working with a producer and, and I've had this great relationship with a producer and I'm able to, you know, unfortunately I'm booked on an event that week and I can't do it, but I'd love to be able to line you up with this producer and now you get to work with this producer. So the next go around, if the producer calls you directly, that performer should always come back to me and say, hey, this producer just called me. I know you guys have a relationship. I think you guys should sort of have a conversation first before, before I work together on it. Um, because that, that is a part of the business end of it uh, that is extremely important. And you don't want to uh, step on uh, somebody's toes and step over somebody trying to just make yourself more successful. And unfortunately, I've had experience with that as well. And those performers are put on a, you know, uh, I don't want to say a blacklist, but they are put on the last person to call at the bottom of the list that I'll probably ne never get to that part of the page to call. Um, you know, it might be and, a brown list. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's <laughs> it's down there, um, and and it's unfortunate. It's in a hard lesson to learn, and and it's one of those bumps on the way that uh, of 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 your career that you ha you have to learn one way or the other, and hopefully you don't end up um, you know ruining a relationship with that. But it's happened, and it and it's amazing to me that it happens on the level of these national clients and, and, and national, um, you know, recognized brands that you would try and circumvent a producer, uh, to, to just get that work exclusive. And thankfully I have such a great relationship with those producers and those companies that they come to me and say, Hey, you know, uh, this performer just tried to reach out to us and is trying to have us book them directly. So they'll come to me and actually tell me, um, and so I would, I would suggest to performers that if somebody is helping you get work, maintain those relationships, don't, don't burn those bridges and, and, and don't uh, try and circumvent their services just to get an extra gig for yourself. Uh, that's a big no, no. Yeah. You got to, you got to remember, we all know each other. Right. Right. And everybody talks, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, um, and, and, and I understand wanting to advance your career a little bit, but if somebody's helping you out, you can't step on their toes uh, and try and book their producers and their clients directly. It's just a tough yeah, situation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So some of the business end of it, I mean, that, that's, it, it's really a huge part of it to me um, that, that I know is important. And I just try and convey some of those lessons that I've learned and experiences that I've had uh, to other performers and musicians, um, you know, to, to let them understand some of the ways that I am. And, you know, another thing is, uh, I mean, let's talk budgets. Um, if you are, uh, you know, a, a, a internationally known high tech company or social media company that has your convention in town with 50,000 attendees, um, and they come to you and say, how much for a cocktail hour? And you say 200 bucks, you know, that may be actually a little bit of a red flag to them to say, well, wait a minute, this guy's only charging $200. We're spending $3 million on this convention. Um, you know, it, it sort of shows your level of, of, of professionalism. If you're throwing a $200, budget out or you're throwing a thousand dollar budget or two thousand dollar budget a client can see that and say okay i've gotten 20 other offers at double that price this guy just must not be very good or or mm -hmm. or on the other side of it is you know this girl gave us a three thousand dollar proposal everybody else has been giving us five hundred dollars why is this girl three thousand dollars well, it's because she's at that professional level. And I think some of those main clients, those international clients are going to see a certain price point quote and know that, okay, this performer only works at this level and these other performers are sort of down over here. I think we better go with the one that, that has the experience and, and seems to know what her worth is. So, so another thing that I always try and express to people, you know, is, is kind of know your worth and, and really target the clients that you're trying to get with a price point that represents yourself best. 
obviously different geographical uh, geographical uh, locations may not have bigger budgets. You know, if I'm in Plano, Texas, they probably don't have the same budget as Orlando or Las Vegas. So you have to find a fine balance of, of what budgets are able to be done within your area and, and within your region. Um, but don't be afraid every once in a while to throw a higher number out there and, and really kind of show some of these clients that that you are worth what this number is and whatever that number is, um, you know, and, if yeah, and of course, if you, if you pitch it for three grand, you better give them a $3,000 show. Absolutely. So that's, that's the, what comes along with that, you know, and, and that's my point too, going back to how you represent yourself and what equipment are you showing up with? And, you know, it, it, it's tough to pitch a $3,000 proposal and, you know, show up without a wireless unit or, you know, I need, you know, I need a whole PA system brought in. Well, why are we paying you the $3,000 then? You know, we'll just hire a production company to play an iPod and be done with it, you know. Right. Um, so, so there's finding that balance of what are you providing um, that's different from everybody else? What are you bringing to the table in terms of equipment and making it easier on a producer so that they have a thousand other things to worry about at that convention. You need to be the last one of, of yeah. their worries. And that's one of the things that I always talk to clients and say, look, you know, show me where to plug in power and that's all I need from you. You know, I provide the rest. Um, and so they're like, oh, you know, do we need an extra sound guy to run your sound? Or, no, you know, and so that saves them money uh, because they're not having to provide all that AV support on site in some of these convention settings. Um, now, again, that's all convention work. Uh, you know, if it's a small wedding, uh, you know, even even do that with weddings to where you can say, look, I'm going to provide a ceremony and a cocktail hour performance. Um so that your DJ doesn't have to provide an extra PA system out there, you know, so now you've just saved money from your DJ at the reception or your band at the reception. Um, so it's finding ways to, to give a client a product that, that's, that in their eyes is going to save a little bit of money, save a little stress, save another logistical thing to have to worry about. Um, even with weddings, one of the things that I figured out was offer a microphone in your package, so offer a microphone for your efficient, have a good quality wireless microphone, handheld or lavalier. And that is a huge draw to a wedding coordinator and to wedding clients because then they're saving that charge from the DJ or the reception band that's going to upcharge that for the ceremony. Uh, so I found and a lot that of times they don't think about, you know, I'm going to be outside in front of 100 people on the beach. Ain't nobody right. going to be able to hear you talking. Right, right, exactly. So, you know, if you've got a small wireless uh, speaker or a PA system that you're able to provide out there on a beach or, or if it's, you know, a lawn setting or whatever it is, if you're able to provide that extra support of equipment, that's a big bonus that's a check mark in your favor on the front end when, when these clients are booking these types of events. And again, with the corporate clients, it's it, okay if it's a cocktail performance and then the CEO wants to come out and do a quick little a speech or a toast or whatever it is. Hey, I've got a wireless handheld microphone right here for you. Again, you tell them that on the front end so that then they don't have to bring in the production company that's on site to provide that. So you get to keep that money um, that they would have spent on, on a production company bringing that in. So it's just a value that you're bringing to the table with what your product is and what you're able to provide to a client on site uh, that a lot of times you just might not think of uh, as a as a performer, you know. But but some of those things are are really important to some of these clients to be able to have those accessibility to some of that equipment and and some of those things on site. Yeah, and thinking about transitions too, right? When you when I got three songs I got to play. I'm going to end one song and I'm going to hold, hold on a second and I got to go flipping through the computer and it's like dead air, dead air, dead air. Right. Yeah, that is, that is probably one of my, my biggest pet peeves is when I've talked to performers that do, you know, a two hour event, right? So we're never going to make them play a full two hours. So you're going to play like three 30 minute sets. 
And so I say, okay, what background music do you have? Well, well, I don't have any background music. Okay, let's start over. So before you get to this gig, you need to have, whether it's jazz dinner music or some Michael Bublé or some lounge style, whatever it is, you've got to have some music that you play in between your sets so that yet again, the client doesn't feel like they have to worry about you saying, well, I just play 30 minute sets. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about background music. That's terrible. So as a performer, you have to be ready for those types of, of, of scenarios as well so that you're filling the two hour timeline. You're in control of that two hour timeline. So a lot of the times I sort of tell myself, okay, not only am I the violinist for this event, but I'm sort of an MC slash DJ and going into that, if you have that mindset, you're going to have a way better event uh, because you, you've got to expand yourself from just saying, well, I just play 30 minute sets on the violin. You guys, you guys have to fill the time with, with background music or whatever it is. That's unappealing to a client. So if you say, look, I'm going to come in, I've got a full PA system, I've got a microphone, I can make announcements that the raffle's going on over here, uh, photo booths open over there, uh, dinner's going to be served in 20 minutes, I've got background music playing, then I'm going to do another 30-minute set. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, the doors have opened, we'd like to invite you in to take your seats at dinner, you know, then you have, you have taken over that event as almost an MC and a DJ and a violinist all in one. And so that's what you're giving that client and they're gonna see that and they're gonna see the value in that uh, to next time, you know, maybe you get a little higher budget next time or, or you, you let them know all this information on the, on the pre-production side so that then they know, wow, we don't have to have any, anybody else do that. We'll have this performer do it and it brings so much value to what you're bringing to the event. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of violinists or performers and, uh, you know, musicians that do what we do think of some of those things. So it's just, it's exposing them to this information that I've kind of learned along the way um, that I think is, is so helpful to those of us that do what we do that it's going to get them bigger gigs and it's going to get them bigger budgets um, because you've now taken over as almost a production company on site uh, that you can do all this one-stop shop within yourself. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is, this has been like a music business class right here. It's, <laughs> yes, you need to practice and you need to be X, you, you have to have a talent level that's X high, right? But right. once you start exceeding that, like, hey, some of this energy that you spent getting that Boeing exactly right on that Shostakovich thing, you might have spent that time uh, maybe getting a good picture taken. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and spending the money on that, you know, uh, and, and so many people, well, I can't afford that. Well, how are you going to charge a $3,000 gig if you haven't spent a little money on yourself? And how much do you believe in yourself that you want to spend some money, whether it's on a video shoot or photo shoot or whatever it is, you know, spend the $10 a month and get a a great website hosting service, you know, and, and spend $500 and, and, and get a top-notch videographer and go do a fun video or whatever it is, but just have something that, that represents you as a brand uh, so that you can show a client that say, here's a good representation of myself and I believe I'm worth this and I, I hope you'll think that way too. Yeah, as yeah. you're getting started, you can do trade-out stuff. You can find a wedding photographer somewhere yeah. who's who's got a Tuesday off and you're like, Hey man, I'll do a thing for you. If you'll take some pictures for me. And yeah. Yeah. And, and I, at the beginning of my career, I did that. You know, I, I put on a nice tan suit and had my acoustic violin and this is me playing a wedding for a wedding videographer, you know, and, and they wanted that footage. And then I said, Hey, can I get the footage? Can I get the photos? And, and it's a one-to-one -one trade, you know? So have those conversations with colleagues that are in your area uh, and, and you can probably be surprised that you'll get some collateral to, to be able to represent yourself uh, to some of these clients that way. Yeah. Yeah. You're an artist. You're a creative. Be creative. Come be up creative. with a solution. Yeah. I, I think that's the one of the hardest things that, that musicians or performers that I come across is, is, is they're so talented at what they do, but they just don't take the time and the energy to do some of these things that we've talked about here. 
you know, so uh, take one less hour of practice and listen to this whole podcast and just get a little bit of insight on what it's like in terms of, of, of some of these experiences that you can have with producers and clients uh, that's, that's only going to help your brand get better and, and bigger budgets as you, as you continue to grow. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for doing this, man. And uh, where can people find you and your music and your schedule? And, you know, I, yeah. I know you do play some stuff that's not corporate events. People can come see. Yeah, that's right. So everything uh, from my uh, exposure is just at Jared Violin on all social media or JaredViolin.com. You can see everything up there, JaredViolin.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, man, for doing this. I appreciate it. You're most welcome, sir. That's going to do it. Another episode of Rockstar Violinist in the books. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Man, I, I've already done the interview that you're going to hear next. And oh, I got shivers. I am so excited about this interview. Oh my goodness, it's probably going to take me a month to edit this. There is so much music to bring you. Holy cow. We will see you in a month with another rock star violinist, but get ready. Get ready. It's going to be so good. Oh, I'm already excited. Okay. We'll see you next time.